Welcome to the 53rd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Peter Orulian, author of the new fantasy epic novel, The Unremembered. So welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Peter Arulian, author of The Unremembered, a new epic fantasy novel. The Unremembered is the first book in the Vault of Heaven series. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Sure. Well, I just mentioned your new fantasy novel, The Unremembered. I realize that this is an epic fantasy novel. However, for listeners who may not have heard of you or the the novel before, can you try to describe a little bit about what it's about? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's pretty firmly in the epic fantasy tradition. Um, so you're going to have conflicts of nations, um, you know, war. There is um, the stakes are high in that um, uh, nations may or may not fall. Um, there will be a lot of personal tragedy for, you know, the, the characters whose whose point of views I'm following. Um, there certainly is um, a bit of a dichotomy, uh, as I sort of set it up early, with um, the the races um, that inhabit the the lands that uh, uh, where a lot of the principal action takes place, and then sort of distant uh, lands that um, are populated with. Uh, the bad guys. Um, you know, you get into some semantics here around good and evil, and um, I'm careful with those, uh, not because I don't think that they're, they're relevant and there's still a lot of power in the exploration there, um, but it would be, um, it would misrepresent what I'm trying to do to say that uh, is that clean, cleanly uh, delineated. Um, the, I set those things up early my clear intention is to evolve past um, some of those conventions of the genre. So there'll be a lot that's familiar to uh, readers of epic fantasy, um, but because I know the tradition so well, um, you know, I, I, my, ch- my um, chart shows me taking uh, these things beyond what, uh, what readers will expect. So, you know, those are real broad strokes, but um, that's kind of what the book is. Great. And, and how do you know those conventions well? Are you, are you a prolific fantasy reader and fan yourself? I am. You know, I've, I've been reading fantasy for a long, long time. Um, and, you know, and this we're, we're seeing this year um, just this amazing uh, profusion of fantasy and epic fantasy in particular. Um, great the authors that are at the top of the game, like George Martin, have new new books coming out this year. Uh, Pat Rothfuss, uh, Brandon Sanderson, um, you know, some some younger authors like myself that uh, have first or second books coming out in new series. It, it's just this uh, amazing year. Um, but you know, there've always been strong writers ever since I was a kid, um, going back to Terry Brooks and. Um, David Eddings and these kinds of writers. So, uh, you know, I read all of this stuff. And, um, you know, I, I will say kind of early that um, being being aware of it doesn't necessarily mean that I think it's right to try and um, issue everything that has ever been done in fantasy. Um, in fact, 
in, in some instances, I think it makes a lot of sense for uh, fantasy writers to embrace some of the tropes. Um, so, you know, with the intention that they'll try and make them their own. Um, but I think it's a good shorthand uh, very often. I was on a panel recently with um, a number of big names in, in epic fantasy, and um, I like this notion that was shared there, which is that often the, these conventions can serve as good shorthand um, for readers of the genre. Interesting. In researching this interview, I, I read that you have also written some thriller novels along the way. Have you had any of your thrillers published? No, I haven't. Um, the interesting thing there is um, I had an agent uh, years ago, and um, the very first novel I wrote was a horror novel. I, I really cut my teeth on popular, you know, with popular fiction on guys like Stephen King and Ramsey Campbell and Clive Barker and on and on um, and I uh, I wrote that novel um, I, I tried to s submit it myself to agents and editors I, without any success um, I later did um, find an agent as I was actually writing the fantasy The Unremembered and, under a different title at the time um, and that agent uh, he was in, at the time trying to diversify his client list and he I had spoken with him about some of the thrillers that I intended to write he asked me to shelve the fantasy, um, you know, partly because he knew I wanted to write these other kinds of books as well, and I think mostly because he, he wanted to have some diversity in his client list. So um, I put it on the shelf, and I started to write the thrillers, and uh, later realized that he and I weren't a good match. So we parted company um, after I'd written these couple of thrillers, which he, by the way, uh, I think I only ever sent him one of those um, to review, and, and he never did. Um, which was part of the reason that we parted company. Um, and then we, um, I started to submit um, the thrillers as it as it happens to new agents. And um, when I, I I wound up with the agent I have now, um, he, turning down both of the the thrillers. Um, and uh, you know, and it wasn't he, he actually paid me some some you know. Um, high compliments, calling them very Dickensian, and and that. But at the time, um, he didn't feel like the there. Um, you know, for whatever reason, maybe with his particular set of editors, that that he uh, um, he didn't feel like that it was a good market for thrillers. So he said, "We'll go back to those." Um, but you know, I had this fantasy, and I happened to know he had a fantasy author, so I sent him that. He liked it, and and we went on. Um, the two thrillers, though, are are kind of waiting. Uh, when we get past, I think, um, some of the fantasy work, um, we'll start to submit those. Sure. Well, in terms of style and scope and plot, thrillers tend to be pretty different than, than epic fantasy. Have you ever analyzed or thought about, do you feel that writing those thriller, thriller novels impacted or changed the way that you write fantasy or vice versa? You know, it's a really good question. Um, I actually do think that having really spent a lot of time um, prior to se selling The Unremembered, uh, writing a couple of thrillers, that it's, it did influence, when I started going through the editorial process, um, some of what I did. Um, you know, simple techniques that um, are part of the form with, you know, most thrillers, which are shorter chapters, um, a lot of cliffhangers, um, um, type focus on point of view, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of 
architecture, I think, in thrillers in order to have the right kind of payoff later. And um, I, you know, there's a lot of that, for, at least in the work I've done in, you know, the unremembered. It's it's interesting. It's been interesting to me with um, with the book because there's a set of readers who are reading the book and they send me email who are just enjoying it as a high adventure. Um, but there's also readers that are um, reading for uh, or, or picking up on a lot of the subtlety that I put in the book, which is something that um, a lot of the thriller fans and, and writers I know, you know, they, they build into the thriller work, um, those nuances. And uh, that's been really gratifying. So the answer is yes. I think that um, in, as I've used some of the techniques of um, thriller writing to inform some of what I've done with epic fantasy, because you're, you're definitely right, as, as different genres... Um, there's sort of a different prioritization of the elements of craft that those writers use. With with fantasy, you know, setting is virtually a character in the books. Um, while of course you always want great pacing, there's I think there's more appetite with fantasy readers to um, kind of kick back and go along with the journey and for things to unfold. Um, thrillers are supposed to be edge of your seat. Um, you know, the movement is is much more rapid fire. Um, and so as you start to think about, um, you know, things like the pacing, things like setting and description, um, the emphasis a writer of those different genres place on those things will vary. And um, I've seen other writers, not just myself, um, who have, seems to me, have adopted some of the, um, the techniques of other genres in the writing of, of the fantasies. And um, I think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. When did your when did your interest in in writing fiction begin? Was it there at an early age? Yeah, it was. Um, I remember writing a play that uh, it, it kind of disastrous um, in sixth grade, and um, in fact, it was the, it was so disastrous that um, our sort of advisor helped us see that the best way to rescue it was to turn it into a melodrama uh, halfway through. And we turned on a strobe light and did sort of a, uh, you know, snidely whiplash thing. Um, but I was writing kind of here and there when kind of, you know, really sort of emotionally moved. Um, and often that was by virtue of music. Uh, music matters a lot to me. And um, listening to a piece of music very often, you know, would evoke um, images and emotions and I would sit down and put those things down on paper so nothing real consistent um, you know I did a lot of writing in, in high school through honors programs in English and then um, I picked up a couple of touchstone fiction books in my life um, out, of, out of high school uh, one of those being uh, Night Shift by Stephen King and uh, having read a bunch of his short fiction there I started to to actually try and write stories, um, and I did so. I, I, I authored a, a thesis in in of fiction in college, and then um, and then I I started more in earnest to do a novel out of college a few years. So, you know, um, it was always there, but I sort of gradually became more consistent in my approach. <laughs> <laughs> And and you you mentioned earlier um, working with the agent. What was the path to publication like for you once you started working with with him in in terms of getting the unremembered published by Tor? 
my um, my story is not as glamorous or interesting as as a lot of the stories these days. Um, my uh, I I sub I submitted to him <clears throat> the thrillers. Um, he at the time he my agent actually I'm the only living fantasy writer that he represents. Um, he's not really an agent of of genre fiction uh, or at least speculative genre fiction. He's got a lot of mystery and thriller writers and mainstream writers, um, and so you know he he knows the market pretty well and. Um, uh, at the time that I was hitting him up, he felt there was a saturation. So um, I thought I was going to miss with him. And then um, when I sent, when I told him I, I do have a fantasy, I think just because he had represented the one fantasy uh, writer before, he said, "Sure, send it." I sent it. Um, within a couple of days, um, he offered me representation, and it was just a few days after he sent that my, my book directly to Tom Doherty at Tor. And within a few days after that, Tom had made um, me an offer for three books. So it kind of happened fast. You know, it's that, that old adage of overnight success that took, you know, six years or whatever. Um, so that's, that's kind of the story. But it's, I say it's, it's not very interesting or glamorous because it's, it's kind of traditional. You know, submit to agent, agent says yes, agent says to publisher, publisher says yes, you know, you write a book. Or you write book two. Um, a lot of writers these days have great stories of self-publishing and hitting, you know, the Amazon bestseller list, and then Random House calls and says we want to do a print deal, or or maybe they don't even they and maybe they say no to Random House and they keep e-publishing. There's there's all sorts of avenues now to publication, and um, mine just happens to be the old one. Sure, but I, I think the point that needs to be made is the quality was obviously there. I think sometimes when people are aspiring writers, and I actually worked in publishing for uh, three or four years with an agent, uh, Tom Doherty wouldn't have made a, an offer if the quality wasn't there. No, you know, it's a good point. And I think that um, I'm, I'm very excited by some of the turns in publishing, um, you know, with, with authors having direct channels to consumers. Um, I'm hoping... That, that a lot of these writers will um, decide to to take the same editorial, you know, approach or and, and exercise some rigor uh, with their books before just kind of putting them out there on the digital shelf. Uh, there was just an article that came out in the last couple of days in CBS talking about, um, you know, how many books that are that are not really worthy to be published are are being published, and I think it's because a lot of writers are not hiring an editor to go through their book before they, they do that. Um, so I, I think you're right. You know, I think um, that it's, it's certain that New York misses great books, and it's certain that New York publishes books that are, you know, less than awesome. But um, I think that they, they're, in the, in the main, New York still provides the, the kind of um, editorial rigor, and, and they are good gatekeepers for, for books that, you know, deserve an audience. Agreed. I wanted to circle back just a moment. You talked about being inspired by uh, music to sit down and, and, and write and that it would it would evoke scenes or, or, or ideas uh, for you. What, what kind of genres of music do you listen to and, and that do you find kind of drive you to that? Um, huh. Almost everything. The, the um, you know, that's a, it sounds like a pat answer. Um, 
I really am one of those people that whose, whose musical tastes are extremely eclectic. The the only thing that I don't uh, choose to actually put in my CD tray or to load up into my my media player um, is country music. Um, and there's actually a lot of country that I you know I, I like well enough. Um, and in fact, country is probably one of the better um, genres for actual storytelling. Um, you know, despite all the all of the you know store, funny you know stories about the guy with the truck and the dog and all of that. Um, but beyond country, um, I I love musical theater. You know, how many guys do you know admit that? Um, I uh, I love the standards. You know, I listen almost daily to Sinatra and Tony Bennett and, you know, um, all of those guys. I love jazz, so Cole Porter and Miles Davis. Um, you know, I listen to that all the time. Um, in fact, I like jazz so much because there's this sort of framework for it um, with all of the modes, uh, etc. But there's so much that is uh, invented every time those musicians pick up their instruments. And, um, and I love that about it. Um, all the way to rock and roll and, and heavy metal. Um, and, and there I get very sort of snobbish about what I like. Um, I, I did four years of classical voice training. Um, as most great um, vocalists in progressive rock uh, have done. And so I understand. Um, so it's for me, it's way more than just passion and, and you know, emotion. Uh, certain, that's part of all music, but you couple that with an understanding of what you're doing um, and real composition, and it just becomes so powerful. Uh, so, you know, bands like Dream Theater um, or Queensryche, I love because those, in my view, those singers are at the height of, you know, vocalists who are doing real, real authentic vocal work that is athletic and inspiring um, and completely filled with all of the same raw emotion that, you know, Nirvana ever had. Right, right. Well, I, I know that you, as your day job, work on Microsoft's Xbox gaming system. What, what is your what is your uh, day job entail exactly? What, what are you doing? Well, you know, right now uh, I sit on what is called the the global marketing team inside the Xbox Live uh, group. So, um, you know, Microsoft has is as many of the big tech companies are doing is, you know, got a cloud strategy. And um, Xbox Live, in, in many respects, is really kind of at the heart of our cloud strategy. Um, and so we already, you know, we led, I think, uh, in, you know, with, there was always um, Battle.net with Diablo and Diablo 2, which is, like, my all-time favorite PC game. But as far as, you know, I am so ready for them. And, you know, that's a good, that's a good bridge over... You know, to our music conversation, because I think the music of Diablo is, you know, so much a part of that game. I, um, you know, and those and those those screenshots and and video uh, that I've seen online. Wow, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, my geeky moment is when I was playing Diablo two, and you go back to the 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 burned out town of the of the Diablo one, and and you get the the music. I just got chills. You know, Um, just a very cool moment, but. Um, you know, so there was Battle.net before Xbox Live, but Xbox Live, I think, has been sort of the gold standard for 
um, online multiplayer play. And um, we do have games that have live and that are live enabled in the PC world, um, uh, both published by Microsoft and published by you know EA and other other big uh, publishers. And then Xbox Live is now also on Windows Phone. And so um, my job specifically is I, w- I actually lead the marketing for Xbox Live uh, and the service and the portfolio on Windows Phone and on the PC. So that's, you know, that's my day-to-day. Sure, sure. Well, I know that there are a lot of aspiring writers who also have uh, super busy day jobs and careers. Given your own experience of writing these thriller novels and then and then writing The Unremembered and, and the books that come after, uh, given all that you're doing during, your, during the day with, with Microsoft, what, what advice do you have for someone just, you know, just in, in terms of like time management and, and finding the time to sit down and write? You know, it's, um, I quote uh, an author friend of mine a lot um, with this question where a uh, Canadian writer um, by the name of Jack White, who says the only way to get the words on the page is to put your ass in the chair. Um, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, I talked before about when I was younger, you know, being writing when I was moved upon. And there are still writers who will say, you know, um, I haven't really been inspired lately. Um, the, the, best, the best adage I can give to that is if you, if you sit down every day for two weeks and you write, There'll be days where it feels like it all comes together and it's just flowing. And there'll be days where it feels like it's much more laborious. When you're at the end of that two weeks, you go back and read the two weeks worth of work, you won't know the difference. Um, And I I think what, you know, and I know a lot of writers who will tell you the same thing. So it's it's sitting down. It's literally the, the willpower and the persistence to be in your writing chair and doing the work. Um, and then you start to think about, you know, most writers, when they kind of get into a groove, will do about a thousand words an hour. Some do less, some do more. But for, for easy math purposes, if you do a thousand words an hour and you write one hour every day, you've written the average novel in three months. And um, a lot, I think a lot of people, writers, get the idea of a novel in their head and it seems like an insurmountable thing. Um, but if you break it down to, I'm going to write an hour today, um, that three months will just whiz by, and then you've got something. Um, you know, you may have to go back and, and do some polish or whatever, but um, I think that the time management's key when you've got a day job, and particularly if you then layer on a family, um, which I, I have both of those things, and, and because you, you work in the tech sector, you know um, a job like we've got, you know, me for Microsoft, and you doing your tech PR, it's not a nine five thing. You know, I'm, um, it's more, I'm more 12 hours a day. So, um, I, I do it by getting up really early in the morning, um, very consistently every day and working when things are quiet and peaceful before I start the rest of my day. That's my rhythm. Everybody's going to have their own rhythm, but I think what's important is that you define what that's going to be for you. Uh, I think, you know, People are different, but I think that most of us do well by routine. And uh, if you don't define a routine, um, it'll, it's too easy to not work every day. And consistency is key. Sure. So what are you working on now? Uh, I 
I'm working on book two. Um, I'm, I was really close to the end of book two. Uh, and then I had a couple of, you know, what I will have to call epiphanies. I, that, you know, the series title is The Vault of Heaven. Um, and I was uh, closing in on it on the end, and I got to a chapter that, uh, as I was writing it, I realized some some just what I thought were amazing things that I could do with book two, uh, but it required me to do some research, and um, so I've been I've spent about the last two weeks doing just immersive research, um, which I've mostly concluded now, and that it's going to require me to probably spend another. Um, couple of months writing um, but I'm absolutely thrilled by what uh, you know what came out of this so um, that's what I'm working on I figure I probably I'll write the book over the course of the rest of the summer and then I should have a first draft done great and is there a schedule for publication for book two no there's there's really not um, the I think it'll be at towards wisdom as I say I think that um, they may have some incentive to, you know, once they get the manuscript, to push it through with, you know, due haste, uh, only because I think there are um, sensibilities with fantasy series readers on how long there are, you know, a writer in between the volumes. Um, but having said that, you know, Tor is going to have to figure out which season to slot it in and, um, so I, you know, I wish I could say that I knew when that'll be, but I really don't. Sure. Well, where can people find you online and follow up if uh, if they read the Unremembered and, and want to, you know, stay in stay in touch and, and learn when that second book will be out? Well, it's just my last name, Aurelian.com. Um, and you know what I've done there is it's it's the stuff you'd expect. I have a blog and that kind of thing, but um, I'm a big fan of of uh, what's been known for the last several years as transmedia. Um, it's a kind of storytelling that um, takes place across multiple artistic mediums, um, so that the the story that you have singularly in a novel versus singularly with a set of webisodes versus singularly with a graphic novel is is self-contained. But that if you experience all of those things, or any two or three of those things. Um, they resonate more because the things you learn, the additive story of the others, kind of all ladder up to a larger story experience. And uh, I, I've spent some time working on this at Microsoft, and so on my own scale, I've done some of this on um, on my website. So there's a series of webisodes that tell um, uh, a collection of stories, which is kind of interesting. There's a movie called Vantage Point that tells about an assassination attempt um, from six, well, four or five different viewpoints, and I use that same uh, principle in my webisode series. Um, there's a bunch of short fiction that tells some of the historical events from the Unremembered, the world that Unremembered is set in. So you get the idea. There's a bunch of this kind of stuff. So if folks want to go check out, it's O-R-U-L-L-I-A-N.com. Um, there's a lot. And that's great, and I'll have a link in, in the show notes oh, as well that people can Thank you so much. Come. But that, that's the... You know, that's the. It's more than just the cover and a click to buy the book. There's, I've created a lot of content. There's a, there's an immersive map, meaning that you can click on some of the map tags and you get information about areas of the world. So, you know, it's a good way for people to sample if they're just even interested to find out what the book's about. 
Sure. From a marketing perspective, I'm always surprised that more traditional publishers aren't doing that type of thing, especially with the the growth in ebooks. Uh, I've I've um, had various conversations and and have mentioned that you know if you're if you're going to have a huge Stephen King, well, let's just use the example of a Stephen King novel out. You know, why don't you do a interrelated short story that's available as an ebook? You know, a month and a half before to kind of have the drumbeat of interest for the novel coming out. I, I, so, sometimes they're doing it, but I think that that uh, publishers could do a lot, uh, a lot better job at, at doing that. I agree, um, and I, you know, kind of tying back into some of our conversation earlier about, um, you know, publishing and the state of publishing. Um, you know, it's they they are sort of marketing uh, techniques, and I think that. I think, in my view, one of the things that publishers, as they sort of um, encounter this new digital sort of revolution, uh, this step change in publishing, um, will need to do to to maintain their value is they're going to have to become world-class digital marketers. Um, and I think that that will need to be coupled with what they're already doing well for the most part, which is that editorial rigor we talked about. Because um, most writers either won't do that or they won't know how to do that. Um, and so that's right. And so I think, you know, publishers can move out of Manhattan into lower overhead places. And, you know, there's certain, obviously there's less book production work that probably needs to take place. Um, certainly there's less sort of distribution, you know, management that has to take place as we go more digital. But if they can really prove value as we know how to cut through the noise as a marketing group and you know we can make the book great because we know how to do that then i think that they'll those are the two in my view the two pillars around which um, they'll be able to to demonstrate continued value and you know most writers can't do those things on their own and so going back to your comment you're, i think you're 100% right they're they're not doing enough some are doing more but they're not doing enough to really market um, where a lot of consumers are now, which is in, in digital, you know, they're in digital channels uh, to, to drive awareness of the products. That's that's right. That's books. a whole other conversation. <laughs> but I, I, I think yeah. we I think we see a, a, a lot um, a lot of the same trends uh, that, that the publishers could be taking advantage of. But um, again, uh, my guest today is Peter Arulian, author of the Unremembered. Uh, check his website out. There will be a link in the show notes, and the book is available in bookstores everywhere and is an ebook. Thanks for doing the interview, Peter. Yes, thank you very much. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.